Beyond Belief Sobriety is a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode. I hope it's a good experience for you and that it adds a little something extra to your stockpile of recovery capital. My guest is Katie Jacoby, a writer, professor, special educator, and the future host of the podcast, To Be Determined, Conversations About Doubt. We had an interesting conversation about sobriety and medical marijuana, the difficulty finding secular recovery options, how doubt can lead to personal growth, and much more. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank Soberlink for sponsoring this episode. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity, has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and sends results directly to your specified contacts, so there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting Soberlink.com slash BBS. And now, episode 288. I came here to not only share my own experience, but I have a lot of questions. Okay, And cool. so I figured this was a great place to start with some of those questions. Perfect. I love it. That, that, that makes an excellent podcast, the questions and answers, a dialogue. Well, awesome. why don't you begin with introducing yourself and, and, and uh, how you got into recovery, and we'll just take it from there. Uh, sure. Um, so my name is Katie uh, Jacoby. Uh, I'm a writer and a uh, professor, uh, special educator, um, currently not employed um, at the moment. Um, and really, my recovery began uh, about a maybe a year after I actually quit drinking um, because it took me uh, about a year to realize that I did indeed have an actual problem. Um, and so the reason why I stopped drinking was because I was uh, diagnosed with bipolarism to, you know, round out my neurodiversity processing disorder and now uh, bipolarism. And in order to go on medication, I had to stop drinking. And uh, this was, I want to say, February of 2019. So this was weeks before uh, we started uh, dealing with the COVID situation. Um. And then about, uh, like I said, um, about uh, a year into it, uh, I started having bad memories. Um, 
they weren't exactly like forgotten memories, but they were things that I wasn't willing to deal with. And then after a year of not drinking and getting a new perception, I realized that I did in fact uh, have an alcohol problem. Um, and that I um, also wanted to very much talk to somebody uh, about what I was experiencing. And that's when I started to research uh, opportunities for uh, basically AA, um, but not a, um, I wanted a more secular approach to AA. And there really wasn't all, especially during uh, the COVID uh, uh, time, there really wasn't a whole lot of options um, for me to be, get myself involved in. Are there any questions before I continue? No, that makes that no, that makes total sense. So, um, you know, I also I, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was needing a secular way through this. Uh, so I started off kind of learning about AA the way that uh, I guess it's it's presented to people, you know, and um, I and I think part of me was interpreting it to myself, but it wasn't until like twenty five years of doing this that. I realized I was an atheist and was more outspoken about the way I saw and understood the program and um, entered into some conflict because of that. And that's when uh, there weren't really any secular options here where I live in Kansas City. So me and another guy, we, we helped start a, a secular group here. So um, I was wondering if uh, during this COVID time, did, did you learn about the online meetings, the secular um, online meetings? That we have, uh, I learned about it um, about six or seven months after the fact when I um, started to do some research, and um, I first started with looking into like one eight hundred numbers for um, addiction and addiction recovery, and I figured they would have information for me, and they don't. Um, I, you know, I would speak to one person, explain my situation which was basically that, uh, you know, I'm a non-believer. Um, my uh, skepticism has a lot to do with who I am today and how I got to where I am. I'm not going to go into a, a situation and be disrespectful of somebody else's belief system. But at the same time, I didn't want to compromise myself during my own journey. Exactly. And so when I explained that to one person, I would be connected to another person and explain it again and connected to another person and so forth and so forth until I finally had a, a person say to me, um, do your own research. <sighs> and yeah, I was kind of taken back. And my response was, well, this, this is me doing my research. Right. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do. And so I kind of let it go and just said, all right, I guess there's nothing available, but I couldn't just let it go. Right. And the more I sort of just changed up the way I put in uh, information into like the computer to do a search, different kinds of information came back to me. And I found podcasts that way. I found uh, Beyond Belief, belief Sobriety, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and so by the time, um, which kind of brings me to where we are today. So by the time I became aware of these other options, I kind of felt like I didn't need them anymore. I was like, okay, I've kind of gone through it. I'm fine. 
you know, I know what I wanted. I didn't get it. So I found another way to process it and deal with it. And now I'm like, all right, well, doesn't hurt to get back out there again. Now that we're meeting face to face, maybe there are more options in my area um, for a face to face meeting, you know, um, I wonder if these these places you called, did anybody mention any options other than AA, like Life Ring or uh, Smart Recovery? Or even no, women, women, women for Sobriety. Uh, could... Women for Sobriety is another one that's completely secular and been around since 1972. Nope, they didn't mention any of that. It was just, um, it was like I said, it, um, it was a 800 number, a national uh, hotline for drug and alcohol recovery, addiction recovery, basically. Um, so, I mean, I'm, you know, in, to be complete, to be fair and honest, and, you know, I'm not the best person who knows about this stuff, you know, so I'm sure there might've been other ways for me to find the information faster, you know, and plus I, I am, was very easily discouraged too, uh, after a certain point, um, but no, I, you know, the, like I said, uh, when I did speak to um, people at this hotline, there was no mention about, um, you know, any other um, program other than like AA. Yeah. You know, so many uh, rec- uh, treatment centers and um, other organizations that have to do with recovery are staffed by people who are familiar with the 12 steps and have only become familiar with the 12 steps. And they haven't really educated themselves beyond that. And there's a certain dogmatism, quite frankly, of people who think that, well, you know, you don't have to believe in God. You just have to be spiritual and do these things, but you don't even have to do that, (laughs) you know? Uh, But they're just not educated enough to even give you resources that you can you can check out and that was a big issue of mine was that i i understand that you know i know a lot of people who are buddhist and who are also recovering from alcohol um and you know though i from their understanding if i understand it myself correctly but it's something outside of themselves that helps them to heal and so even if this thing that's outside in themselves reconnects to something within themselves to heal, they can still participate in the, uh, the AA process because they can, they can still use the, the rhetoric to, to sort of parallel what their own belief system is. For people who are non-believers, when we're told it's not God, it's a higher power or it's not God, it's, you know, the universe, or it's not God, it's a conscious being. I I mean, I can only speak for myself, but what I hear is it's, it's not a flower, it's a tulip, or it's, you know, it's not a flower, it's a rose. And to me, what you call it doesn't matter because the idea is what is problematic for me. Um, I don't believe in a conscious being outside of myself that's going to help me to heal. And if you ask me to join a program where one of the tenants is I am powerless to heal myself unless there's uh, I give up myself to a higher power, then I'm already failing walking in through the door because I can't will myself to believe in something I don't. So how did you know ahead of time that AA was so religious? How did you know that? 
Because, uh, see, just, I did you know, not know, but this was a long time ago for me. Uh, just because, basically, from what I've seen on television and in pop culture, um, and also, um, I would probably, you know, if, now that I'm thinking about it while I'm talking out loud, I would say probably pop culture is how I knew that uh, AA was religious. Nobody in my family is a, a recovering alcoholic. Nobody's attended meetings. Um I did have a doctor many, many, many years ago. I was in my late 20s, talked to me about it. Um, but I had already known at that point that I was, you know, basically uh, at least an agnostic and that AA wasn't for me. I think, for that I think it's reason. more out there now uh, from when I started. So I started back in 1988, pre-internet days, right? So I did not know that there was God. I didn't even know about 12 steps or any of that, any of that stuff when I went to my first meeting, you know, I just figured it was, you know, people that would um, help each other, you know? Uh, so when I went to that first meeting and they started praying at the end of the meeting, it really kind of freaked me out. Um, I, I was, I was not that as confident in my beliefs as you are. So I just kind of fell in line and kind of went with it, you know, but I couldn't, you know, ultimately I had to, I had to um, come, I had to be true to myself, you know, and I am an atheist and I am like you, I don't need a power outside of myself to do anything. You know, I've got, I've got me and I've got people who can help me. So, you know, what's a shame though, is that language, the higher, higher power and all that, when they, they came up with that term higher power back in 1939, when they were writing the steps, because and it was actually an atheist who suggested they do it because believe it or not the steps were going to be even more religious they were really pushing like a specific god these people that wrote that came up with the stuff they went to a very they went to through a christian type program and that's what they were pattering their recovery after well there was an atheist who said that you know wanted to tone it down a little bit so he suggested you know power greater than yourself or higher power and so i think back at the time in the 1930s and with what they knew then, because they were all just fairly newly sober, that that was kind of progressive and it was working for them. But as it turns out, you know, almost a hundred years later now, <laughs> we, we, um, um, a lot of people, um, can't relate to that language. And I certainly couldn't even back 30 years ago, you know, I didn't, I didn't use the term higher power. And I finally realized after, learning about the history of AA and how it developed that that's someone else's language. I don't talk that way. I don't have higher powers. I have people that help me, you know? So I just started putting, putting my experience in my own words. Those steps are someone else's experiences that people that are all dead now that, you know, literally 80 years ago is when they wrote all that stuff. So anyway, I'm kind of, but yeah. So. No, I, I appreciate that. I didn't know that. And I was actually going to say when we are done, if you can email me some book recommendations or articles, that'd be, I would appreciate that. For that'd sure. be awesome. For sure. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's, there's quite a few books that actually secularize the 12 steps where, you know, you can go through that process if you want to. And, um, understand it in a completely secular self-empowering way, you know, without higher powers and, or outside sources and stuff like that, uh, or supernatural sources. Um, but not every, you don't even, don't even need that even, you know, uh, 
I've come to understand that all of that is, again, just an experience. It's a human experience, I think, that we have. And um, from and I don't know. You found your own. You found your way. How, what are you doing now? What you in the interim? You said that you did find a way that you're comfortable with now. So what is that way? So I found a friend to talk to right away, um, and it was somebody who actually has uh, experience with alcoholism herself. Um, she's not an alcoholic, but her her mother was. And so I felt very comfortable going to her. She knows my background. She knows my belief system. And, and I knew that she would just let me talk, which is really what I was, I was looking for. Um, and so that really did help. And then I sort of got back into uh, writing. I mean, let me rephrase that. I got back into a writing group. I've always. Oh, okay. so that's very therapeutic. Uh, yeah, right. I got back into a writing group and taught and used uh, my writing group as an opportunity to write poems about my experiences, um, you know, with alcoholism and trying to get healthy and some of the hurdles and walls that um, I've dealt with over the years. And then, and you know, actually, this is probably a good segue into a question. Okay. Um, one of my bigger questions that I have, which is also why I was started this process again. Okay. Um, so I, I know that I, I have a problem with uh, alcohol. And I know that the right decision for me is to not drink. But I am somebody who uses medicinal marijuana. So can I call myself sober or do I call myself someone who's not drinking? Like, I don't know. Again, I want to know how do I. There's so many questions I and I don't know how to answer these questions, which is so why. you decide for yourself what your recovery is. You decide for yourself. Um there's a lot of people that are prescribed marijuana for a lot of different reasons uh, medically. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's prescribed. So in my opinion, it wouldn't interfere. And if it doesn't interfere in your life, like alcohol does, then certainly um, that's, that's your recovery. You're in recovery. And speaking of words, that, that word recovery has actually been defined by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration as nothing more than a process of change and of personal growth, really. So it's something that someone who's dealing with an addiction or some sort of problem behavior that they want to change will pretty much come up with a plan to figure out what they want their life to look like. And that's the recovery process. And nowhere in there does it talk about, you know, abstinence or anything like that, because there are relapses, too, as you go through that process. And even if there is a relapse, you're still going through a process, hopefully, of change where those become fewer and further between until eventually you don't even have any. You may not ever have any. But, yeah, so it's up to, for you to decide what sober means for you. Seriously. I, like I said, I stop for uh in order to finally deal with uh my mental health issues and then a year later i i accepted that i did have um a problem with drinking um but yeah 
um, it was very hard for me to know to even how to talk to myself with friends. And the, one of the first times um, I actually spoke to a good friend about it, I did receive pushback uh, saying, well, you can't say you're sober because of the medicinal marijuana. And I said, because one of the other things that I take is gabapentin, uh, which is for my um, my bipolarism. And uh, not in Connecticut, but in some states, it is a controlled substance. Even if I weren't using marijuana, um, if could I still call myself, you know, sober if I was using yep, if I'm using Gavin Patton? And my first thought would be, well, yes, because I'm not abusing it. It's a, a prescribed person. medication. Yeah, exactly. And that's that was my response to this person. And their response was, but we're talking about marijuana, you know, because there's a different attitude uh, regarding medicinal marijuana. And it's true whether you're um, somebody in the medical field or if you're just, you know, a lay person, there's just this attitude that even when it's prescribed, it's not really for medicinal use. It's a nudge, nudge, wink, wink situation. Well, there, there might be, you know, like uh, there are probably other medications that people will abuse, but that doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate uses for it either. So, you know, so I, um, I took this course to become what they call a certified peer specialist in, in my state, Missouri. And a certified peer specialist is somebody, most of the people that are, that get that certification, they work in treatment centers with, with, um, with treatment teams and they act as a advocate for the person in recovery. And while I was taking the course, uh, the one thing that they really taught taught us was that the most important thing is that you meet somebody where they are and you just want that person to, you know, figure out what they want, help, help them remove any obstacles that are in their way of achieving their goal of what they want their life to look like and the whole idea is that you just not harm yourself as much as you were before. And I know drinking for me was v- extremely harmful. I could, I could not, I just couldn't function. So that was one thing I just had to do without. But if there was something else that wasn't causing me a problem, then that's okay, you know, for me. And that's what they would, that's what they taught me as I went through this. You know, there is no definition that, that you put on someone else for what their recovery is. Um, so that's, that's how most, that's how I understand people to operate in the treatment field today. And I'm not a professional either, but um, you meet someone where they are, you find out what their goals are. Um, obviously if there's a medical reason why they shouldn't do something, you know, um, then, you know, a doctor would tell them that you probably shouldn't do that. But um as far as, you know, people in, in the recovery field, um, my, my understanding is they, they find out what, you know, um, would help you and what you want. So, and you've already decided that alcohol is the problem and, you know, alcohol is serious drug. So, um, giving that up is a big deal and makes a big difference in life. The first step uh, in a recovery, uh, mental health recovery. I bet it's made a big deal, big difference. Oh, yeah. It's, um, I mean, 
when I first stopped drinking, I was also kind of like, I'm so excited. I'm getting my life together. I'm going to go on medication. And so for at first, it was just like this great whirlwind. Everything's amazing. Look what I missed out on. And then the memories sort of started seeping in. And memory is about, you know, black now. You know, like I, you know, I would wake up in the morning with no memory of putting myself to bed. And I used to think, well, at least I put myself to bed. So that's a good thing. But it wasn't until I stopped drinking that I realized, no, that wasn't a good thing. It does. The the blacking out is the issue. That's the problem. Great. I didn't wake up outside of my house. Right. But still, it's still an issue. It's still a health concern mentally and physically. So, but there are now a lot more options um, for people like us. Uh, I'll send you an email and I'll post them in the show notes here too. But Life Ring is a really great option, completely secular, and it just provides mutual support. People that want to support you and and what you want. Uh, Smart Recovery has more of a Smart Recovery is based upon cognitive behavioral therapy for the most part. And so they have these, they have these tools that you can use that are based upon CBT that help you kind of change your reaction to events in life, how you think about things. And that helps with um, motivating you to want to, to stay sober and make changes and um, deal with urges and stuff like that. So they're really about like these really hardcore, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy tools and at the meetings they have like um, someone who's been trained to facilitate the meeting that will go through one of those tools pretty much at every meeting. So you kind of learn about those tools. I I've gone through that training and I like smart recovery. I like those tools and I'm just now getting to my feet wet with the life ring group. And I like them because they're so laid back. There's no dogmatic program of, of any sort that you have to follow. It's really everybody gets to design their own recovery program, which is the way it should be really. Um, but they're there to support you. They're, you have friends there who are supporting you, you know, you know, and that's the reassuring part is um, people who are like-minded. Uh, and then you, you know that you're going into a situation um a community, you know, it's, you know, it's people who, like you said, who want to support one another and help each other. Uh, and I know I, I um, mentioned that um, one of my concerns was that I didn't want to walk into a community and be honest about my, my outlook at life only to maybe hinder someone else's experience, even if it was only for a 30 seconds, but I didn't want to be and contributor to that. Um, and I remember when I joined the writers group, um, uh, the person, the moderator of the group, uh, I pulled them aside and I explained to them that um, I was an atheist and that a lot of my poetry looks at my skepticism, especially in relationship to my alcoholism. And would that be okay? And they said it was fine. And then a couple of weeks later, when I was going to share a poem, another person shared a poem about being an AA and needing the serenity prayer 
and giving it up to a higher power. You just can't get away from uh, it, can you? <laughs> right. And the thing is, is, and I could be wrong. Maybe it wasn't in this person's poem. Maybe the poem led them to talk about their experience. So just for the sake of honesty, I just want to acknowledge that. But I just remember sort of being like, well, I'm not going to share now, you know, because like I didn't want to follow up with a poem about how I felt so rejected by a community that's supposed to be about healing and helping. And then perhaps maybe insult this person's experience, even though that's not my intention, it can still come across that way. Yeah, I, you know, it's too bad that it's too bad that this is even an issue in AA. I wish I could tell you that people wouldn't be give you a hard time or be offended. But my experience was that they were. So what would happen with me? And this is a group I went to for 25 years. And when I started um, sharing in meetings, how I saw the steps just as a purely practical, you know, approach, no higher power necessary. um, I think most of the people were cool about it, but there were just a small amount of people that really gave me a hard time. And it only took those those few people to make me feel uncomfortable at those meetings. And it's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. Um, it's not supposed to be that way. But like, it just takes one person in a freaking room like that 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 would give you a hard time. That would that would make you uncomfortable. You know, it's just a shame. But those people are out there. Other people I know, like me, and you. They seem to relish the fight and they'll take those people on. I just don't have it in me to do that. You know, so yeah, I, I, I just, agree. I agree. You know, I'm, I I did not want anything compromising my recovery. You know, I didn't, you know, I was going, you know, the reason why I accepted that I needed to do something about my mental health issue was because of my skepticism. And then a year later, when I started dealing with bad memories the reasons why I couldn't deny that I had an alcohol problem was my skepticism, my ability to ask questions and not just take something as face value, but say, well, why do asset. I believe this? It's an asset. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's who I am. And I wouldn't be where I am today without this uh, thought process. And so going, like I said, going into an AA meeting um, with this, um, attitude while beneficial for me may, may be a downer for the room. Yeah. And it always depends on the group too. And, and how, how, um, dogmatic they are, I guess, about the book and all that stuff. Some groups are, would be totally accepting all of them to be happy for you and totally accepting and not give you a hard time. Others might have some people that give you a hard time. Others just might be just completely, you know, ready to turn you around. You know, I don't, so it's just, it kind of depends on the group, but it's a shame that it has to be that way, but you won't, there are, there are secular AA meetings where that won't be a problem. And, but those are mostly online, you know, probably don't have a lot of them in your area. Um, I honestly, I haven't looked since uh, the COVID restrictions have lifted and Connecticut is pretty, uh, it's a progressive state. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to find that they do exist now that I am. Oh, I know that there, I know there is one there because uh, there was a person from Connecticut who went to one of those groups who came out to Kansas city and visited us. Um, I just can't remember where it was, 
but there's a list. I can, I can send you a link to this list of secular AA meetings that they have all over the place. In fact, they're actually listed with the, the AA central offices and the communities where, where those meetings are. And I'll send you, I'll send you some links where you can check these things out. But yeah, there definitely is. And Connecticut's a small enough state. It could, you know, whatever city it is in, you could probably get, get to it pretty easily. And, you know, and I, and I think you were, um, and I don't know, maybe we didn't talk about this, but when people think about recovery, the first thing that comes to mind is AA. And so it's automatically just assume that these are, or this is the only option. Uh, and so even, you know, we're all guilty of a cognitive bias and we don't bother, you know, we think we already know the answer and we don't bother to check to see if we're correct or not. So, you know, it's just a matter of well getting and, going, doing it. Yeah. And what's uh, really interesting too, the fact of the matter is, and this is based on science, the vast majority of people who are who get into recovery and stop drinking and find abstinence and improve their lives do so without any kind of program whatsoever. The vast majority of people. Um, and then, so that's just a fact. Um, but that doesn't mean that these mutual support groups aren't helpful to a lot of people. Even AA is helpful. But, you know, Life Ring, Women for Sobriety, and Smart Recovery – are three excellent secular options. Well, even Dharma recovery, some people might not consider it secular, but um, because it's Buddhist based, but um, what they tell me is they, it's not a religious Buddhism. I don't know, (laughs) but anyway, there's at least those three that are completely, totally secular and much, you know, it's great that we have that, that, that those options. Um, And I'm sure that they have smart recovery meetings and life ring meetings in your area too, but for certainly you'll find them online for sure. Um, those in secular AA meetings. So there are, there are a lot of options available. Um, it just kind of makes me sad that AA, which when it started was really trying to be more inclusive. I mean, these people were extremely religious. They, they came from a, a group called the Oxford movement and that group was, um, trying to replicate first century Christianity. And they, so they were very, very Christian oriented. And these are the, and and they were using this program to stay sober. So these are the people that created AA. And when they wrote the steps, there were some atheists involved that were trying to tone it down to make it more inclusive. But this is a long time ago. This is back in the 1930s. And maybe at that time it was, but it doesn't translate that well now. That's the problem. And it's it's a shame that some uh, something that really started out as trying to be more open and inclusive for everybody has somehow become more narrowly focused on a, a narrower path. And it shouldn't be that way at all. It's too bad. Um, well, I know, too, one of the reasons why I was seeking community um, was because, um, you know, like I said, I don't have family members who are alcoholics. Uh, the majority of my friends, my spouse, they all still drink. And so um, for me, I wanted the opportunity to talk to somebody else who has a similar struggle. Um, but at the same time, um, with someone um, not in my family, not somebody who was... you. Know, Like I said, I'm sorry, all my words are coming to me at once. So let me start this again. 
Um, I was looking for a community so that I could have um, someone help me with this experience who went through something yeah. similar. Yeah, it's very nice to have. I was also going to men- mention there's another group um, I could send you a link to, um, the Soberish Book Club. Yeah, they're great. Uh, so they, um, it was started by a woman in Florida and she didn't have any use for AA or the steps or anything like that, but she loves to read. So she and some other women started a book club where they would read like recovery literature books, you know, um, and then talk about it. So what that did for them is not only were they learning from the books they were reading, but they had a supportive community by just talking and discussing the books, you know? And I thought that I, that's really cool, you know? Um, and then there are, there are other groups kind of like that, that just kind of sprung up that aren't connected to any kind of an official organization, but are just people that have found each other on, on social media or something like that. But I'll, right. send, I'll send you a link to them too. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So many, so many, we are fortunate. There's so many more ways to get sober now. Um, and I'm not, I, you know, I've, I've really bashed AA quite a bit here, but I, I find it sad, quite frankly, that there are so many people in AA that are like this. And I know that there are, I've, I mean, I, I hear from those people myself. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't that way. Probably the majority of the people are not like that, but it's just, it takes a small number a very vocal, you know, hardcore people. And it seems like, you know, the, the ones that are more dogmatic, they're the ones with the loudest voices and the ones that aren't are kind of more mellow and quiet and you don't hear from. <laughs> so it's a shame. Yep. And usually too, even for the people who are, you know, relaxed, laid back, um, not so dogmatic, but just having that confrontation in the room is enough to ruin their experience too. And so it becomes, well, do you, do I want to be that person who walks into a situation and makes everybody in the room uncomfortable? You know, even if it's simply because of their own private thoughts or because another person in the room is being confrontational and now we're all uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, it's really considerate of you to think that way. I, I, I wasn't thinking that way, but I, I, but they were making me feel uncomfortable. So that's why I couldn't go to those meetings anymore, but I probably was making other people uncomfortable too, because I, when I started being honest and sharing about how I really felt about things, it probably created a certain tension in the room. Right. And kind of, you know, I never really thought about it. No, when you're, when you're, when the philosophy is, is that you're not going to heal unless you believe in a higher power. And then somebody walks into the room and it's like, Hey, maybe there is no higher power. (laughs) Then what's the other option? Right. And so logically we know that's not true, but for somebody who's going through a lot to have to question that at that moment of time, even if it's only for it's almost seconds. like you're being respectful to the fact that, okay, if you all believe all this stuff, I'm going to respect your beliefs and I don't want to spoil your party. So you guys go on and believe and do whatever you want to do, but it's not for me. I'm kind of that way too. I mean, I, I could, I, I stopped going to those damn meetings because I, I just couldn't. So I started a secular meeting and started going to that. Now what's right. Ironic. Now, 
I have found some um, AA meetings that I'll go to that I'm, I can tolerate that they aren't real um, pushy about the God stuff and they respect that I'm an atheist and it's not a big deal. They don't do, they don't, you know, so there are groups like that do exist, but they're few and far between. And I know there probably are some people, even in those meetings that are biting their tongue when I'm talking, but I'm not getting the rolling eyes and stuff like I used to get at my other group. So, um, yeah, but for the most part, I had to stay away from it too. But there are certain types of people that think it's their obligation to go to those meetings and to be the voice of the atheist and to push back and all that stuff. I used not, not for me. I mean, no, no pun intended. Push come to shove. I can be that person. I just choose not to put myself in that situation if I can avoid it. Yeah. I, I, I personally don't see anything constructive about it and it just causes, causes me to get tense. And then if, and uh, my past experiences too, when I have been that person is that there's a spiraling, uh, a downward spiraling that comes with it. Did I push too hard? Was I not respectful? Did I not listen when I should have listened? You know, did I, uh, should I have asked questions? You know, so I just, you know, mm-hmm. worrying about myself is enough. Yep. That's right. That's right. Well, it sounds like you're doing okay. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a good spot right now. You're sober. You're not, you're not drinking and you're interested in, in improving your life and finding ways to do that. It's a shame that these people that, that were supposed to be there to help weren't very helpful. <laughs> they didn't, they were ignorant, I guess, about what's actually out there, which is a shame. Well, I mean, in like you pointed out, the information is also available on the AA website. So Where's the disconnection between AA and a national hotline? What, you know, what were they lacking? What information? And I know you've already pointed out that usually the people who handle these hotlines, I don't think that secular AA groups are that well known, even within AA, because there really aren't that many compared to the number of other AA groups. You know, I think there's probably about maybe 500, um, AA, a secular AA groups, maybe more, more meetings than that now online, but compared to the hundreds of the thousands and thousands of regular meetings, it's a small drop in the bucket. So, and I don't even know how many people will go to AA, but the vast majority of them are probably totally unaware that there are secular AA meetings in existence. And they're probably very happy in their own little world that they don't even stop to think about life ring women for sobriety and, and, uh, smart recovery either. You know, they think that, you know, they found their way and it is the way. So, um, yeah, but again, like I say, fortunate that we do, we do have other options and you can mix and match things too. It's not like you have to find one particular program either. You know, it's all kinds of, you mix and match and do whatever, whatever is comfortable for you. You know, therapy is a good thing to check out too. You know, and the um, I I do see a psychiatrist for medication, um, and but I'm currently not in like talk therapy. And when I was looking into AA, the reason why I didn't want to do talk therapy was because I didn't want that the 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 what am I trying to say? The power struggle, and that might not even be the right way of saying it, but like the doctor is the person. Uh, in uh, in position of power and I'm the patient. So I'm not in that same level of position. 
whereas if I'm talking to you, you and I are, you know, we're on the same level. And so we're just having a conversation um, as opposed to like an expert that I'm paying. You know, I was, I'm looking for friends, yeah. not another doctor. Gotcha. Okay. That's fair. And I've, I've, I do the same thing. I, I take an anti, I take an antidepressant and I see a psychiatrist. Um, we talk a little bit, but not, you know, in depth talk therapy or anything. I've done that before. And I'm like, you, yeah, I don't really want that right now. You know, I don't really feel like I need it right now. So um, I can understand that. I mean, my medication works for me pretty well. Yeah. Same here. You know, and you know, and I'm sure it's probably because I'm, was on my medication for a year that also helped me to think more clearly. And as a result, helped me to realize, okay, that, you know, it, you know, I had a problem, you know, I was drinking for all the wrong reasons and they're dealing with the consequences and the fallout from drinking. You know, I've had doctors before tell me also that they would have a really difficult time diagnosing someone, um, for a mental illness and prescribing for them if they're, if they're having a problem with alcohol, it's like they have to get off the alcohol first to be properly diagnosed and treated for depression or bipolar or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I mean? I knew, I knew um, that there was something going on uh, that had been uh, diagnosed at that point. And I knew that if I was going to deal with it in a way that was going to make a positive difference in my life. I couldn't drink because it, it was counterproductive. It didn't make sense. So, um, I stopped drinking, uh, made a arrangements to meet with a psychiatrist for the first time, uh, three weeks after that and got put on medication shortly after that. And then, like I said, COVID hit and, um, you know, it was interesting, um, you know, because a lot of people use this period to drink and a lot of people would drink more than they were before. Uh, and then I was kind of going through the opposite experience where I had just stopped completely and um, was, you know, stuck at home, not drinking. But, you know, maybe that's where the medicinal marijuana helped me out because I wasn't anxious. You know, I, uh, and then also the medication that I was taking was also to help me with uh, a variety of symptoms, including anxiety. So all that might have been like the the perfect storm, so to speak, to come together during that time period. And that's what it's there for. That's why it's prescribed. I think that you should feel good about yourself. I, I hope you do. I think that you're... I do. Yeah. I do. You're definitely on the right track. You're definitely... You know, you're confident in, in what you believe. You're not going to let other people, you know, impose their beliefs on you. You don't want to impose your beliefs on them. You're respectful of and knowledgeable of what's going on out there. Um, just need some more resources. You know, I can point you to those. Um, so I, I like seeing this. I mean, um, they're, it's you find you're fighting pod. You found this podcast. That's pretty cool too. <laughs> you know, so. um, there wasn't a lot, you know, back when I was starting out, um, I would have to go to the library, you know, and read books and fi- and figure out what was out there. But it was pretty much AA was, you know, pretty much it. Um, and it's still, that's still the major thing. Um, 
The, the more people who talk about it, like even when I was talking about it with my writing group last week, you know, um, and it's, you know, somebody in the group was saying it's a good thing because more and more people need to hear it. Even if they don't think they need to hear it, they do. And I think what that that person was just trying to say was that um, the more people who, who talk, the more opportunity uh, exists that it will reach somebody who needs to hear it. Yeah, I think it's a, I think that, um, that those of us who are sober, um, who are in the position to be open about it are doing a service because it helps, um, eliminate the stigma behind not just being, um, having an, an addiction, but being in recovery from an addiction. Um, and, and that stigma has been reduced significantly over the years, you know, uh, we still have a ways to go, but it has. So I'm, I try to be open as, as I can, as, as open as I can. I'm in the position where I can be. So. And plus the, uh, the added burden too, that if you're a non-believer um, and, you know, it's sharing your experiences as a non-believer can help other non-believers who are recovering. Um, because I know just, you know, just listening to other people, that's how I found out about um, people who are, Buddhist and they don't necessarily believe in the whole idea of a, a higher power the way other people think of it. Um, but for them, it's uh, something that exists outside of themselves that allows them to make a change from within themselves. Something outside access something within and vice versa. Yeah. I did a, I did an episode with a friend of mine here in Kansas city. Who's, who's an atheist and um, helped start at that time. It was called, um, uh, it was called, well, Starmer Recovery now. It used to be called something else. Um, anyway, Refuge Recovery used to be called Refuge Recovery. And he helped start one of those groups here in Kansas City. But I read that I read the book that the program is based on, and I talked to him. And even though it's based on this on on this uh, on Buddhism, there's also kind of like a lot of science behind it too. Uh, in that it's a very um, it's not a linear type progression where you just go through one, two, three, four as a program. It's like things are happening simultaneously. Um, and you, you, you just kind of get honest with yourself, take a look at yourself and, you know, you have a community of people. It's yeah. And I can see how, you know, that would be secular. So yeah, it's a good, it's, that's a great tool. I mean, people love it. And um, I thought it, I liked the book when I read it, I thought it was pretty good. So a lot of options, a lot of options. Awesome. So, so what, what encouraged you to reach out to, to me on, on this podcast? A lot of reasons. And um, they're not, um, so I'm just going to give you these reasons, but okay. they're not in an order. All right, that's fine. All right. So I'm starting my own podcast and uh, I'm oh. working with a professional, a, a producer, a professional. Okay. Um, and I wanted to have the experience on the other end. So that I would know how to talk to people when um, I'm, you know, approaching them about being on the podcast or when I'm talking to them during the podcast. Uh, and then, honestly, my other reasons also were were uh, like what I told you. You know, I um, I wanted the ability to kind of share my story. I wanted the opportunity to. Um, 
ask my questions. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about like some of the hurdles that I had to deal with was trying to find uh, help um, and what it means when you're a non-believer looking for help. Um, and so those would be like my, my biggest reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your idea for the podcast? Um, it's called to be determined conversations about doubt. And it's basically, uh, having people share their experiences with doubt and how it has helped them to kind of transition from one point in life into another and how it has impacted their lives, preferably in a positive way. It doesn't have to be necessarily non-believers. So the first person that I talked to, she is a former uh, Dutch reformist, and she is now a New Age Christian. So she talked about her experience, you know, things like modesty culture or modest culture um, and um you know, that kind of stuff, uh, her experience with picketing and condemning, and then how she just started to question a lot of these things and how she came to the person she is today. That sounds interesting. Thank you. Um, and so I was actually going to save this in an email when I said, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and blah, blah, blah. But if you happen to know of anyone who might be interested in talking to me in the future, I'd be more than happy to get that information or give you my information to pass along to them. Oh, I definitely will. I definitely will. It sounds like a really interesting uh, podcast. I'll, I'll definitely listen to it. If you, if you need any, if you have any questions about it or need any help, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to, you know, give you any knowledge that I have or any, you know, experience I have. I've been doing it for seven years now. Hard to believe. I think that you'll enjoy it. I, I find that, I've, I've grown a lot from doing this podcast because of all the different people I've been able to talk to. I learned from each one and every one of them. And, uh, you, you get to talk to people that you, that I, at least I haven't, I'm, I'm talking to people I wouldn't have an opportunity to speak with otherwise. Well, you know, and I also too, I think we're so conditioned to be afraid of doubt, right. And whether it's, a, uh, doubting your religion or doubting somebody you it's love. scary, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I think that if we give voice to that fear, but also acknowledge how doubt has a positive impact on who we are as people, uh, you know, I, I think it can help facilitate a bigger conversation. And maybe for people like us, if we won't, you know, we wouldn't find ourselves in situations where we'd be afraid to express our non-belief if people weren't afraid of doubt. Very true. I was one of those people that was afraid. So when I when I, when I first was coming to really coming to terms with the fact that I was an atheist, I was afraid to tell anybody. So I was reading books like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins. I was reading these books. I wouldn't let anybody know I was reading them. Even my wife, who's also an atheist, if she came by and saw me reading one of these books, I'd just you know I was for whatever reason I didn't even like the word atheist. I thought it seems like it had negative connotation or whatever, and. So I had that thing going on, some kind of shame, weird shame. And then I also had this being involved in AA for so long. And I was like, how am I going to do this AA stuff now? So I, I had all these doubts, right? And I was, I was questioning everything. I, I, I would tell people, you know, that at that time in my life, 
all my beliefs were on the table for for inspection. Everything. And that was really it turned out to be that was a very positive thing that I went through because I got confident in what I really believed. I'm happy to be an atheist. I don't it doesn't I'm not ashamed. I'm happy and proud of that. And I can talk about being it. And I was able to figure out how practical my recovery is, even the the steps and all that stuff. So it turned out to be a very and got involved with this podcast. So it turned out that that my initial doubts, even though it scared me, and at first I was very I was hiding it. I was processing stuff. And after I was done processing it, I was okay. And and it turned out to to be better for me in the end. Yeah. And you know, I think there's a, a an expectation too for because a lot of people who are religious will tell you doubt is all right, but as long as you use that doubt to bring you closer to God, you know, and so I think people are afraid of experiencing doubt because it might be something that takes them away from something that's so so core to who they are. And um, I think it was of- me, part, partly me like that too, you know, because I was so entrenched in AA and I don't know, but yeah, for sure. It's change. People are afraid of change. Exactly. And, you know, and, uh, and I also think too, when people make changes for, for better, other people around them can be afraid of those changes too. Absolutely. I think I experienced that as well because I don't know why, I guess that if, you know, they start questioning their own beliefs, they start questioning their, they start having their own doubts. I had somebody um, very close to me who was, concerned with my uh, my willingness to be so open and public about my atheism and I had to like literally walk them through one question at a time as to how what they thought it meant wasn't it wasn't that at all you know so for example uh, I was accused of calling other people stupid by being a non-believer. And I had to literally say, you know, is a Jewish person calling a Christian person stupid because they don't believe in the same things? And of course that person said, no. And then, you know, okay, so now take it, apply to us. What is that? But it was literally like one step at a time and one question at a time to get them to realize that my, my doubt was separate and had nothing to do with their faith and or doubt. Well, tell me any final thoughts before we shut it down? No, I don't really think I have any final thoughts other than it was great talking to you. I'm really glad I had this opportunity. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it too. And um, I'm definitely going to not only email you links to some of these resources of some of these secular recovery groups, but I'll put, I'll put them in the show notes too. So other people can find them. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Well, thank you. Stay in touch and uh, let me know how the podcast goes. I might want to come on your podcast. I've had doubts before. I was going to actually ask you that in email. (laughs) So, (laughs) thank you. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.